Well, friends, hopefully you've had an opportunity to think about this question throughout our service this morning. My hope is that at this point, your mind has been conjured up with the many worries that you have. Perhaps if you've been sitting passively, let me ask you, what are you worried about this morning? What causes you anxiety? What stresses you out? Perhaps it is where your next meal will come from or what clothes you'll be able to clothe yourselves with or your family. Or perhaps you have other concerns in your life. Worry, anxiety, daily concerns seem to be a normal part of our everyday life. Consider how these words like anxiety and worry have become a part of our regular vocabulary just in the last year in during the pandemic. How many headlines and how many times you found yourself perhaps taken in by anxiety. Whether it be because you have to wear a mask or because the numbers are going up or because more and more people are getting sick and dying. Across the spectrum, people have been concerned and worried. Whether it be greater government oversight or the lack of concern that people seem to have concerning the virus. Across the board, people have been given into worry. But not only in this way, other cares of life. Of course, our jobs, our families, our children. The list goes on and on. We, we could sit and list out on a giant whiteboard all of the worries that we've had just today. In the few short hours we've been awake this morning, no doubt our minds have been concerned about something. Perhaps it's something coming up this week. A doctor's visit. A test result that's soon to come in. Something has riddled your mind with worry and concern and anxiety. And to be clear, not all worry is wrong, as we will see this morning. That sometimes concern is a natural instinct. It's not wrong to be concerned if your kid is playing in the middle of the street. It's not not problematic if you're concerned whether or not you have cancer or not. But you see, as a Christian, there's, there's different kinds of worry. Some of us are almost debilitated by our fears. We almost shut down by our worries and concerns. Anxieties drive our life. We, our patterns, our behaviors are changed because of our anxieties. We do and act in a certain way because we are worried and given in to excessive worry. But what you are worried about is important. Jesus, as if you see in the Sermon on the Mount, kind of slows down, if you will, doesn't he? This morning, we're going to consider a very lengthy passage in in a very short sermon. Because Jesus understands that people will be taken in by worry and anxiety. And this morning, friend, I want you to hear this. Because you might feel that we're like beating you up and, and, and you're kind of getting your head knocked around this morning. Here's the thing. Jesus loves you. And he's meeting you where you are this morning in this passage. By lovingly showing you the foolishness of your worry. And it is loving, isn't it? For Jesus to come alongside and say, oh friend, 
What a fool you've been to worry yourself with these things. Do you not know that you have a Father who is in heaven whose responsibility is to care about these things? They're not your responsibility today. Did you know that what you worry about reveals the level of your own faith? That the greater the worry and anxiety in your life, the less faith you have? And so this morning, it is a matter of faith. It is a fight of faith this morning. It is a struggle, and it is real. And it is not something that you and I as Christians should just say, ah, it's just part of life. We're going to worry. We're going to have anxiety. We're just going to have to deal with it. No, we need to take it to the cross this morning, and we need to deal with it by faith, by understanding who our God is. Because you see, this is a, this is a theological matter. This is an important matter. And we want to deal with it this morning, lovingly and graciously, with our Lord and Savior. Now, our passage this morning continues really what we talked about last week in Jesus' instructions to his disciples concerning material possessions. In other words, Jesus laid out some principles last week in which he is applying to everyday life, namely the pursuit of earthly treasure. You see, if you're consumed with earthly treasure, if you're consumed with material possessions, you will be more prone to have anxiety and worry. If your sole focus in life is the, the here and now, then your life is going to be filled with worry and anxiety. But, as you'll see this morning, if you apply the biblical remedy to worry and anxiety, that is, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, you will begin to see that worry fades, anxiety fades. We've, we've said it like this before. Friend, I want you to ask a question this morning. What you're worried most about today, if you are a believer in Christ, what you are most worried about today, will you care about that in one trillion years? And if the answer to that is no, then it is an earthly treasure. It's a temporary thing. And Jesus is calling us to the eternal to think and to put all things not in the temporal context that often life is found, but rather in the eternal. Is this really something to get all worried about? Friends, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 25. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. My favorite part of the whole Sermon on the Mount, probably yours as well know it well, maybe you've studied it. I'm excited to preach it this morning. Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which one of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But 
If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O little, O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. (coughs) Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What's Jesus' point? Well, I've summarized it in this way. Trust your heavenly Father will provide your daily needs. Trust. This is what Jesus is teaching his disciples. Trust that God has it. Trust that God can do his job. Trust that God is able to meet the needs you have in your life. Believe in God. Believe that you don't need to do it, but that God will supply it. Trust your heavenly father will provide your daily needs by the means of what is our responsibility by prioritizing the kingdom of God over the worrisome pursuit of material possessions. We're to trust God by seeking first the kingdom of God. That's how we trust God. That's how we demonstrate trust. By saying my priority in life is his kingdom and his righteousness. And by prioritizing the kingdom, I'm not going to worry myself with these other matters and trust that he will meet my daily needs. And so the purpose of our time this morning is really simply to learn to trust God is good. We say God is good all the time. And we always like, amen, God is good. But do you believe God is good? Does your worry defy that testimony? Does your anxieties defy that statement? That God is good and that will supply your daily needs? Well, friends, how do we fight this temptation? How do we fight the temptation to store up these earthly treasures that Jesus has warned us? How is it that we fight the temptation not to be concerned with material matters? Well, Jesus lays out three steps for us this morning. First, in verses 25 through 29, we fight this temptation by avoiding worry about material things. Jesus repeatedly throughout this section, five times, Matthew says, of the six times he uses the word anxiety right here in this passage, five times he says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. And so, friend, the the message is, is quite simply this. Don't be anxious. Don't give yourself to worry. Secondly, we see that we are to help, uh, that we are to fight this temptation by trusting that God will provide for you by trusting that God is a provider God by believing the doctrine of the providence of God you see that's what it is 
This is a matter of faith. It's a matter of belief. You either believe God can provide. You either believe God is the the almighty sustainer of the cosmos. Or you don't believe that. It's a matter of faith. Thirdly, we see that the remedy for worry is prioritizing the kingdom of God over the pursuit of material possessions. You want to know what the antidote is to your problem of anxiety and worry? It's this. Seek first the kingdom of God. So we want to think about what does it mean to prioritize the kingdom of God over and against pursuit of material possessions? Well, these are the three things we want to consider this morning. First, avoid worrying about material possessions. Look what Jesus says here in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. He begins by using that word, therefore, which means that this actually has more to do with what he just said uh, than what he's going to say. Well, what did he just say? Well, Jesus just said to his disciples, listen, friends, brothers, fellow disciples. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is there is a correlation between who your God is and the level of your anxiety. Remember last week, um, we talked about you, you don't really own your stuff. Your stuff owns you. Remember that? Your stuff is your God. Right? It's what you worship. And, it, and, if, and if stuff is your God, material possessions is your God, the things of this world is your God, well, then you will be naturally given into worry and anxiety. But if your God is the almighty God, the creator of the cosmos, then you will not be worried because you believe that he is pretty good at his job and he doesn't need you to do it for him. And so he'll take care of things. See the difference? And so Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious about your life. Now, what is anxiety? Anxiety. Now, of course, the, the, the uh, psychiatrists have, have taken that word and, and filled it with their own meaning. But here, biblically, uh, Jesus used the word anxiety to mean excessive worry about basic material needs excessive worry. Jesus here in this section describes anxiety as excessive worry. We'll consider that in our second point this morning when uh, in verse 34, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what will we drink or what we wear? In other words, it's excessive worry. I want to be clear again this morning. It is not wrong to have concern or worry to be concerned about things, but rather to have worry without faith. See, what Jesus is describing here in anxiety is this. Worry without trust. Devoid of belief that God has it. Look, we can be concerned about our kids. Like, you know, I mean, if you're a legit parent, you want your kid to grow up and be like not a loser, right? I mean, that's not wrong, okay? I mean, right? It's okay to like worry about that. Like, I don't want my kid to be a loser. Um, that's okay. But to be consumed by that, to find your identity in who your kid grew up to be is entirely different, is it? 
Because one is operating from faith, like, I believe God's in control, right? There's like a proverb about that, you know, raise up a child in the way that, you're right? There's some faith in that, right? There's some belief, like, hey, I did my responsibility, now what do I do? Can I control my 35, 40, 50, 60-year-old kid? No. But I can trust the Lord. I, I, laid, the, I laid the foundation, I sowed good seed, just trust God. Rest in him at that point. You see, the kind of worry that Jesus is going after here is worry without faith. Excessive worry. Excessive concern. A place where we are in control and God is not. You see, that's what worry is all really about. Worry and anxiety is about you being in control. And the the frustrating problem here is that you are living in a world where you'll never be in control. You understand? Like, God's not like, oh, yeah, come on and buy. You can be providential with me. No, no, no. He says, I'm providential. You're not. And you're frustrated by that. That's why you worry and are given in to anxiety. J.C. Ryle says it this way. Prudent provision for the future is right. Wearying, corroding, self-tormenting anxiety is wrong. Isn't that so true? Self-tormenting anxiety? Friend, that's me this morning. So I'm preaching this sermon just as much to myself as I am to you this morning. Sometimes I'm given into worry, and I confess that this morning. Sometimes overly worrisome about matters that are outside of my control. And that's the point. It's not. I want to control. You want to control. And therefore, we are worried. And Jesus here says, do not be worried. You see, worry underestimates God's care for your needs. That's why worrisome, worriness and anxiety is so bad. Look here what Jesus goes on to say. What will you eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on? In other words, Jesus describes here concern about basic necessities, right? If you don't eat and you don't drink, you die, right? I mean, everybody's like, duh. If you don't put on clothes, you're going to be running around naked. Nobody wants to see that, right? So he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You see the rhetorical question he asked, right? Jesus is talking to a group of people where they're all going to say, well, of course, Jesus. Of course the body is more valuable than the food that goes in it. Uh, Of course my body is more valuable than the clothes that I put on it. Now, frankly, in a 21st century context, that doesn't ring as clear as it did in the first century. Right? Because we live in a culture that would not say, of course, to that statement. Right? We live in a culture where there's certain animals that are more valuable than human embryos. All right? We live in a culture that values other things more than human life. But as Christians, we understand that, right? We're like, oh, yeah, of course. We are valuable because we are created in the image of God. So Jesus here gives us some illustrations to help vividly understand what he means. That worrisome underestimates God's care for your your needs. In other words, friend, I want you to hear this morning that when you worry, when you are anxious, you are in fact claiming that God is insufficient to care for your needs. Look what he says. Look at the birds of the air. They, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet, notice what he says, 
your heavenly Father feeds them. And then again, he asks another rhetorical question. Are you not of more value than they? He takes us to the, to the animal kingdom and he says, look, you ever seen a bird? You ever seen a bird sow seed and, and then wait for it to, to harvest and then harvest it and then go store it away? No, you, you've been like most folks. You go, what, put that bird seed out there and try to keep the squirrels away, right? That's what we do. And God is saying, and Jesus is teaching us in this passage about the providence of God. This is a doctrine that Christians have held uh, from the beginning. That God is providential. That God sustains his creation. That, that he didn't just kind of get the ball rolling and step back. But rather he daily sustains the cosmos. God cares for his universe. I like this definition by R.C. Sproul. He says this, when we speak of the providence of God, we mean that by which God governs the entire universe. The means by which, in his sovereignty, he leaves no maverick molecule running loose outside his sovereign authority. Well, that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Not one maverick molecule, not, not one of the basic building blocks of existence, moves apart from the sovereignty of God. Now, that's control, brothers and sisters. That's, that's control. Or as the psalmist, Psalm, as David declared in Psalm 37 and verse 25, as he was an old man and as he looked out on his existence, he said this, I have been young and now am old, yet, at, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Now, does that mean that people don't go hungry, that, that Christians don't often at sometimes suffer starvation or that whole host of birds are wiped out from civilization. No, Jesus is speaking about the normal, ordinary grace of God in a normal life, right? Not talking about the extreme here that we often find ourselves in. Rather, it is the point that God cares for his universe. God sustains it. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 28. He says, and why are you anxious about clothing? He's like, what are you all worried about clothing for? What you put on? And then he goes to creation again. He says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon, probably one of the richest dudes to ever walk the earth. Beautiful tapestries, beautiful ordination, beautiful walls and colors. Jesus is saying, look, just go out to the fields and you can see colors more vivid and more beautiful than that. And notice the point, he says, they neither toil nor spin. In other words, they're not taken in by anxiety or frustration. They grow on their own. Many of you know that I spend some time in the garden. I love gardening. It's fun. I enjoy growing plants. It's an exciting time. But it's also, for me, often a frustrating time. You're always fighting with bugs, always fighting with weeds, always fighting with some sort of disease or, or something going on in the plants, and, and you're frustrated. This season, I've had these yucky-looking worms that keep gobbling up my plants, and I go out there, and I hunt them out, and I stomp on them. For the glory of God, I stomp them. 
A number of years ago, I was uh, speaking with Pastor uh, Scott about this. I was sharing with him, just crying out, casting my anxieties on him. And just care, just, oh my gosh, these stupid plants won't grow. And I've had all these problems. And, and, and Pastor Scott, he's such an encourager. He says to me, brother, isn't it just seed and soil? Like you plant seed and you water it and things grow, right? Like what's the big deal? It's truth. They neither toil nor spin. They grow. Because God created them to grow. And you put them in the ground and they're going to grow. Isn't it amazing? In other words, I was taken in by something that God is sustaining for his own glory. It reminds us this morning that God provides for us. That God cares for us. Are we not of more value than the grass we mow and rake up and burn, he says. Here today and gone tomorrow. This is why the Apostle Peter tells us to cast all your anxieties on him. Listen, because he cares for you. And that's what you need to wrestle with this morning. Do you believe God cares for you? Do you believe that God cares about your life this morning? Your individual life. He cares about your needs. He loves you. He cares for you. He sent his son to die for you. What measure of comfort do you receive knowing that the almighty God of the universe governs this world? Friend, let me encourage you the next time you turn on the news to remember the truth of the providence of God. He's in control. It may look like this world is chaos. It may look like things are just coming unglued, but remember who's in control. Cast your cares on him. Finally, here in this section, notice what he says, that worry proves the futility and foolishness. Look there in verse 27, that rhetorical question. Jesus. I mean, if you want to meditate on something, friend, just hang out there in 27. And which of you, which y'all out here this morning, he says, by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life. Now, some translations say, you know, Make yourself taller. The idea seems to be more adding on to the span of your life. Either way, whether it be make yourself taller, right, or make your life live longer, we all know it's impossible. It's futile. It's foolish. We would be a fool to say, oh, I can live another year, or I can live another day, or another month. We're foolish to say those things, are we not? It's futile. To think that we can add anything to our life. And, and Jesus says, listen, friend, then why are you worried about those things? They are outside of your control. You're, you're worried about things that are not your responsibility. Focus on your responsibility. As we'll see this morning, our responsibility is to give ourselves to the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is what we need to worry about. That is what we need to concern ourselves with. You see, when our primary focus is our earthly treasure, then we will naturally be plagued by worldly worry. Perhaps that's you this morning. You're given in to excessive worry about temporal things, things that won't matter. Take a good assessment this morning of what is causing anxiety in you. Are it these lighter matters of temporal things? Trust the Lord. Take comfort in knowing that God cares for you. Believe that. Trust that this morning. This is the God who's revealed himself to you. Well, how do we fight temptation? 
Well, we do it by avoiding worry about material possessions. And secondly, by trusting that God will provide. We've got to trust that. We've got to have faith in that. Jesus continually throughout this is is pushing at the idea of faith. Look there in verse 30 as he concludes his argument. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And Jesus here describes one without faith. It's the same word Matthew will use later to describe the one that doesn't have the the faith of a mustard seed, one who's devoid of faith. You see, worry demonstrates a lack of faith in God's ability to provide. You see, that's what we're doubting. God, you're not able. You can't do it. You can't supply my daily bread. You can't meet my need. You can't help me in this this area that I'm worried and, and anxious about. And so this is a fight of faith. It's doubting whether or not has, God has the ability. This is what he says again. Look at verse, will he not much more clothe you? In other words, if God sustains the, the creative natural world, will he not sustain you? Whom is his child? Now, throughout this section, Jesus repeatedly uses the language of heavenly father. And it's not by accident. He wants you to know that you are in in a special relationship with the almighty God. You are his child. And our heavenly father is a good father. He provides for his children. Well, not only does worry demonstrate our lack of faith in the ability of God, but excessive worry undermines our ability to trust in God. Look what he says in verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? In other words, he's describing here one who is taken in by excessive worry. Always running around, worried about something. What am I going to drink? What am I going to eat? What am I going to do? What about this? What about that? It's excessive in nature. And Sproul says it this way. Prayer is one of the greatest antidotes to worry. It's so true, isn't it? You know, often there's a correlation between our prayer and our worry. We, we worry a lot because we pray little, right? If we prayed more, we'd worry less. Prayer has, the op- it has this ability to give perspective, doesn't it? Casting your anxieties on him. Or as we learn in the scriptures in Philippians chapter 4, do not be anxious about anything. Wow, that's a pretty inclusive statement, isn't it? Do not be worried about anything. Do not be anxious about a thing. But in everything, notice what the Apostle Paul says, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. In other words, he says the means in which dealing with your anxiety is prayer and supplication. Friend, this morning, are you struggling with anxiety? Take it to the Lord in prayer. All right, don't just sing about it. Do it. Cultivate that time in your life. Do you find anxiety rising up? Let that be a natural trigger in your body to say, hey, I need to pray. Don't feed worry. Don't feed anxiety. Are you feeling anxiety? Then pray. Just like when we talked about fasting, when you have that desire in your body to want to just like consume some food, rather than consuming food, you pray. 
That's what fasting, using your body. Well, hey, when you start getting yourself all worked up, that is a time to cast your anxieties on him. Cry out to the Lord. Brother says, you have this promise. Like, these are promises. These aren't, these aren't just words on a page that we are meant to plaster on our walls and our homes. They are meant to, promises to claim. Friend, he cares for you. Believe that. Claim that promise that he has. He will care for you. Now, he may not care for you the way you want to be cared for, right? You might think you deserve something that God's like, no, you don't deserve that. So don't be confused about what you think you need versus what you want. All right? But trust the Lord. Not only that, we see in verse 32 that worry doubts the Lord's omniscience. It's a big Bible word. Omniscience means that God is all-knowing. He knows all, sees all. Not because he's looking through some glass, but because he's present. He's everywhere. He sees and knows all things. Look here in verse 32 what Jesus says. For the Gentiles seek after these things. Listen. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. You hear that? He knows you need it before you even ask. Now the little kid in the back says, "Uh, well then why do I need to ask? You've missed the point of prayer. The Lord knows. Isn't that a wonderful truth to rest in? Before you even utter the word, before you even cry out to God in prayer, he he knows, friend, where you're at. He just wants you to talk to him about it. He wants you to trust that he has you, that he will sustain you, that he will keep you. Throughout this section of chapter 6, Jesus regularly comes back to the doctrine of the omniscience of God in verses 4, 6, and 18. He presses home this point that that you are doing these things to a God who sees in secret. One of those poignant verses that he has in this section comes in verse 8. Similarly here, when contrasting with the Gentiles and the non-believers and the religious leaders, Jesus says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Similarly, He repeats the same idea here, that your Father knows you need them all. Brothers and sisters, it is encouraging to know that not one prayer request was not known by God beforehand. That's why we come with confidence. We don't have to give God context when we talk to him. We don't be like, hey, God, you got to understand this is what's been going on in my life. And I really need you to get involved in it. No, no, no. He's like, man, I've been involved in it all along. I brought you to this point of desperation that you might learn to trust me, that you might learn to depend on me, that you might cast your anxieties on me. Friend, where do you doubt the Lord's care for you this morning? Do you struggle with excessive worry? Just be honest. Do you wor- are you a worry ward? Are you an anxious person? Friend, do you see the correlation between your worry and the lack of trust in the Lord? Do you see how that hurts our witness to a lost and dying world? How are we to be people who are consumed by anxiety and worry and yet be the same people in in an appeal in the gospel say, trust Jesus, trust in the Lord. If we're so worried about material things, 
How are we ever going to be able to convince anybody to trust the Lord for real eternal things? Like, seriously, you're asking someone to trust, to put their soul in Jesus, to go all in on Jesus, but yet you can't go all in on him on material things? It don't make no sense. You can see why we are unbelievable to many people because the way we live our lives, the way our anxiety, we're driven by anxiety and excessive worry. This is why it's so essential. And why finally we see here, we must prioritize the kingdom of God over the pursuit of material things. Look what he says in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Worry demonstrates wrong priorities. That's the point. When you worry, you've got the wrong priority in life. You're worried about the wrong things. You're concerned by the wrong things. Look here at the word Jesus says, first, but seek first. Now we might think that that's, Jesus is speaking here of chronological order. In other words, we do our church thing first, then we can worry about material things. That's not the point. And Jesus here is not speaking of chronology, but rather here of cardinal. But, you know, the cardinal first, second, third. In other words, he's speaking here of preeminence. That the kingdom of God is to permeate every aspect of our thinking and actions. Like a giant umbrella, it is to touch everything in our lives. It is first and foremost in that way. It is a priority. It's a first. It's a cardinal first. It's the one thing that we live for. Jesus here contrasts that seeking of the Gentiles in, in verse 32. You notice what he says. The Gentiles seek after these things. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. We use that illustration of two ways to live. Brothers and sisters, it, it really is that simple. There are only two ways to live in this world. There's only two. There's not a bunch of ways. No, there's two ways. That's it. Either your way or God's way. That's really it. It's quite that simple. When, when you talk to your lost neighbor or your lost friend, friend it's just two ways. They, they're either living life their way or they're, they're seeking to live God's way. And here Jesus says... There are two ways to live. You can live like the Gentiles, or you can live the righteous way, the God-honoring way, the way that seeks the glory of God, the, the one that seeks the kingdom of God. In other words, his rule and reign. Now, the, Matthew often uses in his gospel the, the kingdom of heaven. So if you're reading the gospel of Matthew, you'll see over and over the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. He rarely uses the kingdom of God. And I think for intentional reasons here, he focuses in on the providence of God again. The almighty God, the, the, the ruler of the cosmos, the one who knows all and sustains all. Jesus here wants our minds filled with the one who is in control and that we are under his rule and reign. And so a part of seeking first the kingdom of God is submitting to God's providential care in our lives. That's what it means. What we've been talking about. By trusting 
in the one who sustains all. Brothers and sisters, the world doesn't live that way. The world doesn't trust God is in control. They think they're in control or some spiritual being is in control or some tree is in control. Worry demonstrates wrong priorities in our lives and we want to take the right priority that the kingdom of God, that is why we do kingdom things. We live like kingdom people. Gathering with, the, with kingdom people on the Lord's day is one of those things. Living a life of godliness, seeking first as, as uh, Jesus began. Blessed, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is similar to what he says here. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There's a thirsting after, a longing for, a we're on an adventure seeking to grow in godliness. We're, we're not so worried about filling our bank accounts or getting more notoriety in this world. Rather, we have a singular devotion to knowing God better. It's a simple task, but a, but a wonderful task. Glorious task. Finally, here we see that worry displays foolish arrogance concerning the future. Interesting enough, Jesus doesn't end with verse 33. It seems like a fitting climax, does it not? Like, boom, seek first the kingdom of God in his right. I would have probably ended the sermon there. But thankfully, Jesus knows what he's doing. And he doesn't end it there. He says, oh, one last thing, friend. One last thing before we go. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I'm thankful the Lord put that in there. Because he's honest with his disciples. He's honest with us. Friend, excessive worry is foolish arrogance about the future. It's about things you can't even control. He says, listen, friend, today's got, you got enough on your plate today to be worried about tomorrow. And, and we can all testify to that truth, can we not? If you're a planner like me, I plan because I try to mitigate the temptation in my soul that is often given to worry. That's why I plan. Because I know that I will be given into worry if I don't plan things out. Maybe you're different. You like do things by the, you know, the seat of your pants. And I would be like, oh my gosh. Because we want to be in control of the future. We need to learn to hold life loosely. By trusting that God is in control. He, he's not only the God of the past and the present. He's the God of the future, brothers and sisters. God is sovereign over all. And this morning, I want you to think about what you're worried about most. What causes anxiety in your soul. Don't leave here without wrestling with that truth. Without crying out to God, forgive me of my anxiety. Forgive me. I repent this morning. Of the ways I've tried to control my own life and the people around me because I want to be in control. I want to be God. Repent and believe that Jesus Christ came into this world to die for a sinner like you and like me. And no amount of worry will ever change a single thing. Isn't that a truth? You can have, be the most worry, worrisome person in the world. You may have most anxiety in the world, but... Friend, you've got to learn that none of that's going to change a single thing. None of that will. But God can, through prayer, by crying out to him.
Friend, how do you fight these temptations? Seek first the kingdom of God. The only remedy to a soul excessively given in worry and anxiety is the pursuit of righteousness and the kingdom of God. Trust, friend, trust your heavenly Father will provide your daily needs. Trust Him. Henry Ford once said, a weakness of all human beings is trying to do too much, too many things rather, at once. It makes for haste and haste makes for waste. That's one thing old Henry Ford was known for. He goes on to say, we think it is the best way because it's work. Because it works. We're pragmatists at heart. We do it because it works. He goes on to say, every now and then I wake up in the morning and head towards work with a dozen things I need to do. I know I cannot do them all at once. And how do I respond to such a predicament? Well, I go out and trot about the house. And while I'm running off my excessive energy that wants to do too much, my mind clears and I want to do what only can be done and should be done first. In other words, he says, I prioritize my life. I make a list and I work through that list. But friends, as Christians, we do have a first. We have a, we have a list of sorts, a priority, and that priority is given to us by our Lord and Savior. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to us in its own season, in its own time. Trust the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that we would learn to be less anxious, less worrisome, and more given to trust that you will provide, that you will sustain, that you will keep. For this is your job. This is who you are. This is the God whom you have revealed yourself to be. And this is the God whom we worship this morning. We ask this for your glory and our eternal good in Christ. Amen.